Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16, these are God's words. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. This ends this reading of God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, effective word. May he add all of these blessings to it by his own power. Please be seated. Well, one of the difficulties when we decide that we'd really like to spend more time in the last part or parts of a sermon is that we lose the effect uh, of the connection with the preceding portion. And that's something that's very important for us to be able to understand what is going on here when Jesus, having turned to them in verse 11 and started again with uh, uh, with the second person, now not so much beatitude as benediction, if you'll remember from last week. And he says, blessed are you when they persecute, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Some of you who memorize your verses uh, have memorized that and uh, and. We pray that by the help of the Spirit, you have received that very personally and directly from the Lord Jesus. Blessed are you. But he's talking about blessing that comes, of course, with and in uh, and through persecution. Even the last beatitude, which is what instigated that benediction in verse 11 last week, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so he comes and he makes it personal. Not just personal with respect to them. Blessed are you when they persecute you, but personal with respect to himself. Where for righteousness' sake is for my sake, for the Lord Jesus' sake. This is where the righteousness came from. This is why the righteousness looks like that. Uh, and how great is the joy of the believer who has not merely a correct legal standing with God, a restored legal standing with God, uh, not merely even correct living before God to which men are beginning now to respond, but far more than the standing and the character and conduct, we have God himself. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And so not only do we have him 
uh, on earth, whom we are treasuring, and we're persecuted on for his sake on earth, but great is our reward in heaven, our great already, not great shall be our reward in heaven, but we have God himself. And therefore, he goes, he went from benediction, verse 11, you remember, to command, verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Well, can I have this great reward, this blessedness of union with Christ, this blessedness of having the God of heaven as my father whom I have now? Couldn't I just have him without thee? being reviled and persecuted and slandered bit? And the answer, of course, is no. You remember not too long ago, we were in Second Timothy and uh, Paul uh, coming to the close of, uh, of his writing to his protege, yea, even his son in the faith and in the ministry, Timothy, reminding him of how much falsehood there would be in the churches. And how much falsehood there would even be in the pastoral ministry, the elders' ministry, in the churches, but urging Timothy to continue in what he has learned uh, and with the doctrine and the ministry that he has seen uh, in Paul and that he knew from his babyhood as um, Lois and Eunice had taught him the Bible and uh, even as the New Testament scriptures were being written, uh, but of course, he would have to continue in receiving persecutions and enduring persecutions. Uh, and uh, Paul reminded him, you know, that everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus must be persecuted, must suffer persecution, especially from the church is the implication there. And as we've been considering it here in Matthew chapter 5, it's also the implication here, isn't it? Because the you to the people at the top of the mountain or up the hill with the Lord Jesus who have assembled to him. You remember, there's a great multitude at the bottom and it wasn't a multitude having um, an overtly uh, worldly uh, time. They were there for the fame of Jesus and because of what Jesus was doing. It was a Jesus festival, if you will, at the bottom of the mountain. But it was those who had seen him take the posture that he takes in the synagogue when it's time for a sermon. You remember he had gone up to the, up the mountain and what was it that triggered those who drew near to him when he sat down? He sat down to preach just as he would do in the synagogue we know from Luke. And so the blessed are you when they, the you is those who are with him on the mountain, the they in the immediate context, is actually those having the Jesus festival at the bottom of the mountain. And so don't be surprised. Uh, you know, in the words of Peter, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you. Don't be surprised that the more you gather to Jesus, because he is everything, the more you hear his word and respond to his word and are conformed to him, the more even those who have Jesus festivals and who consider themselves to be the visible church will denounce you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely 
for his sake. But know that it's for his sake. That you have him on the earth. Now you have him in heaven, but you're united to him even while you're on the earth. You have his spirit dwelling in you. By his spirit, the Father and the Son have come and made their home with you. And you have in heaven not only your Father who is the living God, but your Savior, God the Son, the Lord Jesus, who sits on the throne. And by faith, not only do we have him with us here, but as Ephesians tells us uh, in multiple places, we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Indeed, we come to him in this worship as we have mentioned and heard many times. And so that is the background, the context of verses 13 through 14. Or sorry, 13 through 16. It's the rest of the sections and a flipped page here. That is the context of verses 13 through 16. You are what you are and you are where you are for the Lord Jesus' sake, by the Lord Jesus' wisdom, for your Father's sake, by your Father's wisdom. And so do not shrink from being what you are. However hard and nasty and uncomfortable the response is, do not shrink from being what God has made you to be in Christ Jesus. He's been speaking in the third person. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. But in the context of the book of Matthew, you remember, and we pointed this out several times as we went through, a believer is these things because Jesus has made it in these things. Even we ourselves could not make ourselves these things. That was the Pharisees' mistake. And even the visible church and the outward signs. Uh, at that time, you know, the baptism of John with, with water could not make us what we needed to be. But Jesus, by his Spirit, has made us what we are. And so that'll be the first um, main heading in uh, our sermon uh, this afternoon. Uh, God has made us what we are. God has made us what we are. And then in the second place, we will see, especially in verse uh, 13, uh, and the salt of the earth, do not shrink from what you are. That's the main point in verse 13. What is it that God makes those whom he's saving? And what are you really, uh, sadly, shrinking from if you shrink from being that? So do not shrink from what you are. And then in verses 14 through 16, do not shrink from where you are. God is the one who puts you where you are in your home, in his church, the visible church. Uh, in your community, your nation. Do not shrink from where you are. So in the first place, it is God who has made us what we are. What we are. You 
are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Notice he is not saying here in the same sort of verb, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. He doesn't say we have joy. He doesn't say we have, he says rejoice and be exceedingly glad. It's a commandment. It's a blessed commandment. We spent a fair amount of time on that last Lord's Day. But here he is not saying be the salt of the earth or be salty. It's implied. But the emphasis is on what he has already done. He does say, let your light so shine. But even that is a command with respect to something that he has already put in us. Because of what he has made us, you are the light of the world. So let your light so shine. But in in that particular place, uh, when we get to verse 16, it will be before men. Uh, That's the location. Because he has chosen which men are going to see you and your family. You didn't get to choose your parents. didn't get to choose your children unless you adopted them. Then praise God. But that comes in his providence as well. didn't get to choose your brothers and sisters. God has picked where to put you. So, uh, sorry, we started into the third point there, but uh, do not shrink from where you are because God is the one who has made us salt. God is the one who has made us light. And particularly, he has done that in Christ. God, the Son, is the one who has done that by his Spirit. This is, again, the true and great Christian baptism. Not which, that which is done on earth with the physical sign by the servants of Christ, but that which is done from heaven by his Holy Spirit, or, or with his Holy Spirit by Christ himself. He is the one who baptizes with his Spirit. And so this is not initially a command to be salt or even a command to be light when we get there. It will be a command to shine uh, in the appointed place. But we are light. See, Jesus is informing them and informing us, if we are believers, of what we already are. Now, if you are not a believer, and we should probably be more specific, shouldn't we? Because many have different ideas of what a believer is. Perhaps someone who asked Jesus into their heart, said a prayer, got a sticker, put it in their Bible. Or maybe even told by someone who didn't understand he was tying a millstone around his own neck. If you're ever worried about your salvation, just look at that sticker and remember that you said this today. Well, that's not a believer. What's a believer? Who are these who are salt and are light? Well, it's those who, by the grace of Christ applied to them by his Holy Spirit, have discovered that they are spiritually bankrupt. Verse 3, and grieve over their sin and are are lowly uh, before the Lord. Uh, Verse 5, verse 6, is hunger and thirst uh, for Uh, More and more righteousness in their character and their conduct now is the consequence 
of having hungered and thirst for a right standing with God that they could not secure, but only Christ could secure. And he has obtained for them who are merciful now, because not only have they obtained mercy, which made them merciful to begin with, but uh, but God has um, guaranteed to them in the Lord Jesus that they will be vindicated on the last day, openly acknowledged and acquitted, that on the day of wrath, they won't get wrath, they'll get mercy. They are single-minded towards God and And the more he makes himself their desire, he shows himself to be their possession. Verse 8, those who long for all of creation to be as it should be, and especially for men to be reconciled to God through Christ and sanctified into the image of Christ. And therefore, wherever they go, they are bringers of uh, uh, not just original creation before the fall peace, but new creation peace. Uh, and so they, they bring, as it were, shalom or a reine here uh, for uh, where, wherever they go. And that's what they seek most of all uh, for other people, not even that we would have uh, uh, some kind of tranquility in our interaction with one another, but that they would have peace with God and that their Having with them having peace with God, we would have peace with one another. That is true peace in Christ, not what you know the world means, or maybe even many worldly in the church mean by reconciliation. But that true, the only genuine, genuine reconciliation that is in Christ. But ultimately, those who have Him and who have God Himself as their great reward. If that's not you, then when you hear the first point of this sermon addressed to others, it's really like reading someone else's mail or listening to someone else's message. When you hear others being told, God has made you what you are, you should know that God offers to you to have him as your reward to have Christ as your righteousness, to to have your spiritual bankruptcy answered by the riches that are in Jesus Christ. So that having grieved over your sin, you know that God has wiped it out in the cross of Jesus Christ. That if you believe in him and you confess him, that those things have come not merely by you hearing a sermon and deciding, yes, I want that, but because the God who gave the word that is preached and the God who gave the preaching of the word comes by his power and he has given you to believe and he has given you to confess and he has made you salt and he has made you light and there is no sinner on earth to whom that is not offered. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then when you come and you say, well, now I want to be salt. I want to be light. Scripture comes and says, he's already made you salt. He's already made you light. 
be what you are. And so in the second place, not only that God has made us what we are, but not to shrink from what we are. Here the, uh, the instruction is that there's such a thing as fool's salt. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt, and now it says loses its flavor here, and there is a parallel passage in, uh, in Mark 9, verses 49 and 50, which is going to help us understand why salt and what salt Uh, But in that place, when it says, if the salt loses its flavor, it actually says, becomes unsalty. And that's more helpful in that context. Here, it actually says, if the salt is moronic, or becomes moronic. Um, The the verb is a verb for to become a fool. And you can hear the word moron. um, And thankfully, in God's providence, not with salt... Uh, although some of us, you know, uh, we were convinced at some point that sodium in your diet is horrible for you. And so we, uh, you know, we switched to potassium chloride or, uh, or uh, even uh, we had uh, something, I think it was potassium chloride, uh, uh, growing up in the cupboard at our house. It's called no salt. Uh, that's almost there. But we do have in English, don't we, the phrase fool's gold. And that is a very apt analogy for the linguistics of what's, uh, what's being said here. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt is full salt, how shall it be made salty? Uh, and yes, the word seasoned there is, uh, is for uh, being made salty. But you see the salt of the earth here is first and foremost in the context of the Bible. Yes, salt was used widely as a preservative and also as a seasoning. Uh, you may have heard sermons in which salt was not used as a seasoning. Well, it was used as a seasoning all the way back in Leviticus 2, through which we've been recently, so you, know, you, don't, have to, uh, you don't have to fall for that. But it is in Leviticus 2, isn't it, that we first hear about the saltiness of those offerings that are ascend, that ascend unto God, and especially the tribute offering. Leviticus 2, verse 13, that they were not to offer any tribute without the salt, or any offering, any brought near thing without salt. Later, in Numbers 18, verse 19, would call this the, the salt of the covenant, uh, that which uh, that which must be included with every ascension that where you hear it's going to be difficult. Many of you have not sat under or heard the Leviticus preaching. Um, the whole burnt offering is just the ascension. That's uh, all it says there in uh, in the Hebrew. That which is called the grain offering is actually the word for tribute. Uh, and then uh, the the third primary offering was the peace, but salt. Uh, should accompany all of these things uh, as uh, he comes in uh, Numbers 18, verse 19, to refer to uh, the salt of the covenant uh, with respect uh, to them at that time. And then later, Second Chronicles 13, uh, 13, verse 5. The point of the salt here is that God, when God who is in heaven uh, 
engages with earth, those with whom he has bound himself, those who genuinely draw near to him by the blood of the substitute and the ascension of the substitute, and they are joined to him. He sees on earth those who belong to himself in heaven, those to whom he has drawn near, those among whom he has made his dwelling. The salt in chapter 5 and verse 13 is not preserving the world or even the church. The world and the church in chapter 5 and verse 13 are busy persecuting the salt. And so there is this desire, if I get persecuted for being salty, can't I just be less salty? But what God sees from heaven when he looks upon the earth, and here it's not the dirt word for earth, it's the, it, well, some of you have heard, unfortunately, in the resurfacing of many wicked um, false religions, um, the word Gaia, uh, you may have heard. It's the same uh, word for that here. That when God looks at the earth, he sees those who are his. He sees those who are of a different nature. They belong to him. And yes, there is this peacemaking, this, this shalom that, that they are producing wherever they go because they belong to the peacemaking God and they have become a peacemaking people. But they live in a world that does not want to have the peace of God. And they do not want to have peace with those who belong to God. But you are God's salt and you are in covenant with him. And wanting to be less salty is wanting to not be his. And the Lord will trample those who are not his. The desire to be less salty is a desire to be useless and blessingless. To be someone who does not bring shalom where you go and who is not recognized from heaven as God's children. It is to turn verse 9 inside out and upside down and backwards. You see, all of humanity is split into two different groups. And that's where the Mark 9 passage goes. Those who are going to be seasoned with fire and those who are seasoned with salt. The ones who are seasoned with fire are those who are trampled underfoot, who are under the wrath of God. And those who are seasoned with salt are the ones who are identified with the substitute, who attend to, who, not attend, who ascend to God Himself, who are joined to Jesus Christ, who are received into heaven. They are not burned with the fire of God's wrath. They ascend as pleasing smoke. They belong to God. They are His. 
So yes, salt is useful on earth, but the usefulness is especially understood already in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. The point of the saltiness here in verse 13 is what we are to God. And so do not shrink from what you are. Our flesh chafes against the persecution. Men will accept Christianity that is not genuine. And we have churches that are full of a Christianity that men will accept. Because in God's providence to us, we come up on the, heel, on the heels of generations where the point of the next, pas- next portion of the passage, verses 14 through 16, uh, be what you are, where you are, has somehow fallen out of, uh, of the churches. And now we think that if we make the church tolerable enough to unbelievers, that we can somehow get more of them saved. But what we have done is we have filled churches with fool salt. And there are many who think that they are going to come and enjoy God's mercy on the last day. But he is not the reward now. Christ does not everything to them now. They do not desire to bring reconciliation with the world to God, being spreaders of righteousness. And so he says, resist, resist the desire to be palatable to the world. Resist the desire to dial back the saltiness, dial back the difference. Just enough that you don't have to be persecuted anymore. Because by the time you've done that, what God sees when he looks upon the earth is no distinction. No difference, no distinction. And there will be no distinction then in what they receive from him. Verse 13 is a pretty strong warning, isn't it? that if we are full salt, we will be trampled. So do not shrink from what you are. Well, how do we do this? Well, how we do it is actually in the first half of the sermon last week. And may the Lord bless your recall. How you do it is having your reward not on earth. Great is our reward in heaven. Great is your persecution on earth? Sure, but... Great is your reward in heaven already. Him, himself, who looks on the earth and, and you know, they, those who are on the earth see the distinction and they hate it and they let you know that they hate it. But God from heaven sees the distinction and he sees those who are in covenant with him, those who are bound to him, those who have been reconciled to him. And he loves it. So rejoice over having God himself. Rejoice that you have God himself 
in Christ himself. Be heavenly minded so that you may be useful on the earth. I'm sure you've heard the pithy, horrible saying, uh, too heavenly minded to be of any earthly use. That is not the way actual heavenly mindedness works. Actual heavenly mindedness is so satisfied with God, so glad to identify with him, so glad to be united to Christ, so glad to live righteously because that's how to live out of our union with Christ who has made us right with God and are making our character and conduct right with himself. That's to be heavenly minded. And that actually makes you earthly useful. And here's one of the ways. As you are reviled, as you are persecuted, as you are slandered, you are not being overwhelmed and over a period of time becoming embittered and hostile, which someone can do that. They can take this passage and they can say, well, that's because I'm salt and they're not. And I'm going to let them know how salty saltiness can be because that's what the world needs is to become more like me. Or like I am, ablative phrase. No, to be heavenly minded is to become also the peacemaker, isn't it? You've got to go back to verse 9 and to say, I have God. And I have Christ. And what they need is God. And what they need is Christ. And his righteousness that they hate, it's actually good for them. And because I love my enemy, I'm still going to pursue righteousness even where he puts me. And that brings us to verses 14 through 16. You are salt, so don't shrink from what you are. You are light, verses 14 through 16. So don't shrink from where you are. You are the light of the world. They do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, if you were looking at your worship booklet, or even better, you have got a copy of your Bible open, you notice that I skipped a phrase, or a whole sentence, actually. He says, you are the light of the world, and then he, yeah, and praise God, the Holy Spirit does not obey our you know, rules for literature. He mixes his metaphor. Which is it, light or city? Well, it's light and city in order to show us that the main point is not so much um, nature as it is location. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. You know who really feel exposed at this point of the sermon that Jesus is preaching? The people that he called up the hill. They can't be hidden. They're where everyone can see them. And it's within visible distance uh, to uh, a close enough visible distance that the ones who got there got there because they could see that Jesus was sitting down to preach. And where Jesus was going to be preaching, they wanted to be hearing. They wouldn't let the sermon pass them by, so they went up to him. But Jesus has done that, hasn't he? in the logistics of how the situation happened. 
He's the one who made them a city on a hill. Yes, I'm grateful to God for all that he did for us and his mercy and common grace through Ronald Reagan. But the United States is not the city on the hill. The city on the hill is those for whom Christ is everything. Those who have been transformed by Jesus to be salt with his covenant, to be light for his light. You know, he is the light of the world. But as he redeems people and brings them into conformity to himself, he makes them to be children of light with his own brightness. And so you can, you can see them almost squirming. He's blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. And there's the you on the hill and there's the they at the bottom of the hill. And the Lord Jesus did not come to bring peace but a sword. Perhaps there are even families in which some members went up the hill and some, some members are at the bottom of the hill. The Lord Jesus warns us ahead of time there are going to be uh, there are going to be parents against children and brothers against sisters and husbands against wives. But Jesus is the one who put them where they are because he doesn't want them hidden. So resist not only the, the, the desire, the temptation to be, you know, to dial back the Christianity so, so, you know, shrinking from what you are, verse 13, with the salt. But to dial it back where you are in your family. This is not a call to obnoxiousness. Just loving him and walking with him is going to be enough obnoxiousness all by itself. You don't need to bring any more from your, to the table with your, or from your flesh. But you notice the, the city uh, is not, does not set itself on the hill and the lamp does not set itself on the stand. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Which is to say, the lamp doesn't place itself. The one who made you light also has picked for you the place that you're going to be. It is he who has picked your family for you. It is he who arranges the members of the body as he will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, it's easy to take general teaching. It's sometimes, it's more difficult to take specific teaching. You can imagine in Corinth as they're reading and hearing 1 Corinthians and they're looking around and the people that they have been saying they are not part of the body or the others who themselves have been saying I am not part of the body he comes in 1 Corinthians 12 and he says, God is the one who arranges the members however he wishes. It is really hot. Could someone you know, stop that? People are dying and I am dying. Thank you. Excuse me for not dressing according to my office. Um... He is the one who has arranged the body. And he's the one who in his providence, he put you in your community. He put you in your nation. 
That means something for you who are gathered here that most of the Christians in the history of the church have not had. They did not have the opportunity to affect legislation. They did not have places in the operation of their local community where there was the invitation of voices to be heard. And so rather than rather than shrinking from where he has put us, and yes, that means in our home first and in our church second, but it does mean in our community and in our nation. For most of the history of the church, this is just meant, yeah, your social score, uh, to use a contemporary Chinese illustration, your social score is going to end up negative and you're not going to get to be anyone or buy anything. Which isn't new. Which is why people who read that stuff in Revelation from an American context are like, oh, China's in Revelation. Well, the whole history of the church is in Revelation. Because it has always been, almost always, in almost all places, that if you let your light shine where God puts you, if you take the stand that he has put you on, you say, I'm going to be, I am going to have Christ as everything uh, to me, and I'm going to try to follow his word as well as I can out of love to those in my family. That creates difficulty, tension in our households. Because most of our households end up with some lowest common denominator of spirituality. And dads, it's usually ours. That if you have a spiritually weak and inconsistent father and husband, that even if the wife and children are maturing in godliness, they will dial it back because they don't want dad to feel bad about how uh, what a spiritual runt he is or maybe even unconverted. But it can be anyone in the household as you grow and as you mature. It's very difficult to be the only Lord's Day keeping kid in a Lord's Day profaning family. So that if you do, everyone else feels the pressure of that. It creates tension and conflict. But do not shrink from what you are and do not shrink from where you are because God has put you there. And he is glorified. He is glorified by all of the responses. We'll, we'll uh, abbreviate the, the rest here. We'll come um, especially to, uh, to letter E if you're following on the outline. There are different responses that you are going to receive. If they are responding to you from their flesh, yeah, they're going to denounce you. They're going to revile you. They're going to hate how good you are becoming. They may actively persecute you. And they will speak of good as if it were evil, and they will invent evil things so that they can speak more evil. But if that is the consequence of being what he has made you, where he has made you, then keep shining there. Even their resistance to him in you glorifies your father. 
And then there's a response that sometimes comes by common grace, where God uses believers to actually benefit men, and they see what the believers are doing. They say, hey, that's good. We're richer through that. We have less crime through that. It sure is helpful to have neighbors like that all over the place. That guy is the best employee I have. He's hated by a bunch of the other employees because he doesn't participate in their conversations and he doesn't let himself think about the boss that way or talk about the boss that way, but he also doesn't cut corners. He puts in a good day's work. He doesn't grumble. And in God's common grace, he gives them to see enough of what is good that they respond to you well. But there are also those in whom who are not responding from the flesh and not even responding from common grace. But God in his special grace is beginning to save them. He is giving them to, to by his spirit to come alive spiritually. And he is going to bring them to hear his word, maybe even from you. Because perhaps they want to know what makes you different and what makes you attractive in that way. And it's because he's saving them. Whichever one of those three responses you get, and I know we could break it down even more, but those are the general categories. It glorifies your father in heaven whether it glorifies him because they hate him and they see you, him in you. You're a child of light in the midst of a blameless, um, no, you are, well, we should start from the beginning of the verse. You do all things without complaining and arguing so that you uh, may be a child of God walking as light in the midst of a blameless and pure. I did it again. Corrupt and perverse, exact opposite. The children are blameless and pure. Generation is corrupt and and perverse. But that glorifies your father because he's produced his resemblance in you and that's what they hate. And when the goodness of his good law that you are walking according to out of your union with Christ because you are salt, because you are light actually brings benefits, that glorifies your father Because his wisdom is good and his law is good. And even in his providence, he has put among them Christians who are benefiting them, who deserve to already be in hell and will be. And so it glorifies your father in his goodness and his patience and his wisdom and the righteousness of of his law. And then, of course, when he's put you on a particular lampstand for a particular part of the house in which he is bringing salvation. It glorifies your father. Your father has chosen where he put you, particularly, individually, to shine with the light of what he has made you in Christ. So each of us have a uniquely assigned place of bringing glory to our Father in heaven. Be what you are there. And so that's that's the main point, isn't it? 
of 5, 13 through 14. Don't shrink from what he made you. Be what he made you. And don't shrink from where he put you. Be what he made you where he put you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how we thank you that you are perfect and your word is perfect and the work that your spirit is doing is being perfectly done. We confess, O oh Lord, our preaching is imperfect and our hearing is imperfect. But we look to you, O oh God, to be glorified by adding the continuing blessing of your spirit's work in us that you would glorify yourself. So we pray for the ongoing ministry of your spirit that each one of us would see that you have made us what we are in Christ and that you have selected for us the place that we would bring glory to our Father. And we do pray, O oh Lord, for any who have heard as those who are reading other people's mail or hearing other people's uh, messages. Oh Lord, grant that it would become theirs by bringing them too to faith in Jesus Christ. For we ask it all in his name. Amen.